You're about to listen to the Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders and for coders about all aspects of life as a developer. I'm Will, the curmudgeonly experienced developer. And I'm Beach, the optimistic newbie developer. Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast. Before we get started, Will, what have you been fighting this week? Uh, well, not really fighting. Um, it's it's been relatively smooth. I've been writing a lot of documentation for work. You know, everything's going to hit after the first of the year. Oh yeah. And I'm writing up docs for another developer. I know he's competent, but I don't know him all that well, and so I'm having to write. I'm writing the docs a little bit more. Uh, in an anal retentive fashion than I probably would normally. Yeah, and, you know, it's it's not been that hard. I'm, I kind of enjoy some writing, so it's... Well, we've talked about you and technical writing. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't really bother me, and I get home and I'm not just absolutely beat to death. So it, it's okay. Um, and the other thing I'm doing right now is a lot of goal setting. So, like, I actually went to Publix. I made a special trip to Publix and bought a new notebook. Nice. To keep all my goals and stuff. Because my other one was just random. You know, it's, you know, like, you you turn one page and there's stuff I had written down while I was playing a game. And then there was another page and it was stuff for work. And then another page and stuff for a different work. And another page of a grocery list that I never filled in. I mean, it's just like this random notebook and I realized there was a cognitive overhead there and I'm going, okay, I, I've got to switch. And so I'm, I'm kind of figuring out what I want to do over the next year. You know, I have the book um, outline and I'm trying to figure out uh, what my, what my milestones are, for, you know, for getting chapters written and edited and, you know, through the pipeline and, and ready to go. And I'm, I'm kind of doing the same with all my projects right now. You know, it's, it's a, a fairly easy time of year at the moment. So I'm, I'm trying to take advantage of that. I'm also just, frankly, taking a lot of time off. I didn't realize how burnt I was. Yeah. And, you know, so there's been a lot of days I've just come home and I've played video games and that's all I've done. <laughs> I understand that. I, uh, this, uh, week before last, played a lot of uh, DuckTales Remastered. I remember the, the Nintendo DuckTales, man. I played that thing like crazy when it came out. That was one of my favorite TV shows as a young child and one of my favorite video games. Yeah, of course, you know, now I look at it and I watch Scrooge dive off the balcony towards the, the coins and I'm like, you know, if you did that, that would really hurt. Well, I just think of the uh, the Family Guy episode. Because it's not going to move. It's just going to be a lump of metal right there. Oh. Well, my my nieces think it is the funniest game ever. All except for Transylvania. We're not allowed to play Transylvania because it gave them nightmares. Huh. Wait, tra- oh, uh, like Simon's Quest or... Uh... No, 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 no. The Transylvania in DuckTales. Huh. The ghosts... The, you know, fair enough. They're five and three, but the ghosts gave them nightmares, so my sister said they're not allowed to play that. Okay, I was thinking of the... Uh, what was that video game that had... Uh... Where you're going after Dracula. That was Transylvania. But uh, anyways, we their favorite game is uh, is DuckTales. And so that is what we play all the time. Even though I took, took the time, created an entire world in Minecraft, 
just for them. They each have their own city, their own castle in that city. Um, I built the Uncle BJ Tower, <laughs> which is a, a big ivory tower in the middle of the world where all the the cart or the mine carts go to. It's like the central hub. Yes, yeah, I've never played. I've never played Minecraft. I get the impression that it's very, very addictive. It is. Like I that I played that world on creative with peaceful, just because I the whole point was to set it up. Yeah, I was explaining to my niece. I was like, "Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm going to stay inside right now because it's nighttime and there's monsters out there, and I don't want you to get scared." And she's like, "Well, I won't get scared." So so we went out and she saw me <laughs> attack some monsters and stuff. And but uh, what was what was funny is I was explaining to her what I was building and she was like well why don't you just fly down there i was like because i'm in i'm not in creative mode i'm in survival mode and you can't fly in survival mode <laughs> it's like i have your world set up so that you guys can build whatever you want and be as creative as you want it's like this world I it's more like the real world yeah. it sucks <laughs> like in this world <laughs> if i want something i have to go and mine the the iron and cut down the trees and all that stuff, you know. I was like, Do this this world is is a bit more difficult. And I was like, eventually you guys will work your way into a world like this. But for right now, That's I want cool, you guys huh? to learn how to play this way. But they they like Ducktales better because they find the Scrooge running around is hilarious. Yeah, and hitting stuff and like knocking things off the ceiling. Mm-hmm. And- yeah, my three-year-old niece finds it hilarious to make him hit walls because of the reaction the way his his eyes oh, like yeah. shake back and forth and stuff. Yeah, you know, she could spend she spent like thirty minutes when it was her turn to play with the controller, just standing at a wall, hitting it and giggling. <laughs> and so, well, whatever works. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's been the main thing I've been doing. Uh, did have a kind of an interesting thing. Um, if you guys have noticed, I have uh, kind of been a little lax lately on the email updates and things like that. Uh, yeah, there's that one that I completely dropped the ball on. Like, yeah. uh, was it Christmas Eve or something? Because yeah. we were trying to scramble around and get ready to go. And then you're like, hey, can you send the email? And I'm like, not really. <laughs> uh because you know, I'm going to go to my parents' house where the microwave kills the internet, mm-hmm. and yeah, that's not not likely. Well, I was. Uh, yeah, you've had some drama. Yeah, I, I was in the hospital. Well, not in the hospital. I was in the emergency room. Uh, turns out that counts as hospital. Man. Yeah. Turns out I have kidney stones. Well, had I think I've passed them by now. But uh, uh, let me just say that's not fun. I do not recommend it to anyone. Um, you guys know that I had an interview scheduled for uh, for this week, and I was not able to go to that because I was in the emergency room. Um, thankfully, the uh, they understood. And they've been really kind about it, and we've rescheduled. So, uh, kind of got that. the uh, The good thing about that is it's given me a little bit more time to work on my portfolio. Uh, currently, it's a page on my blog, and I kind of want to put it on its own. Uh, separate site. But that's about it. So I guess it's time to roll that glorious music.
you just you just like to find an adjective that <laughs> I love the music. I mean, it makes me smile. It gets me through those rough nights of pain from kidney stones. I, I guess so. You know, like I think it. Every time I hear that music, I think it would be the appropriate background music for a horror film where somebody's be, being beaten to death by clowns. <laughs> week for IOTs, uh, have something for the kids, uh, the younger kids. This is called the Delightful Interactive Toddler Spoon. Um, and it's it's really neat. Uh, it's at instructables.com. They even have a video on there on uh, how it works. But the, the idea behind it was, if you've ever had to feed a toddler, and I have a nephew that's 18 months old, so I know exactly what they're talking about here. Uh, it could be a lot of trouble because they'll start to eat and something will distract him. You know, uh, it's the typical, ooh, squirrel. Uh, or in my nephew's case, ooh, a ball. Uh, <laughs> and they end up refusing to eat because they want to go do something else. The cool thing about the Delightful Spoon is uh, it's an interactive toddler spoon that's designed to attract the toddlers during mealtime. It has uh, touch sensors, and every time they put the spoon in their mouth, it lights up, and I believe it even makes a little noise or something. And on here it shows how it was built. So that is instructables.com, and I will put a link in the show notes for you guys. All right, guys. Happy New Year. Uh, this week we are... Happy almost New Year. Oh, yeah. Well, it's New Year's Eve, and we can call it Happy New Year. Yeah, you know, there's there's probably... You know, it depends on where our listeners are. Well, there is that. You know, there's probably, like, this one dude in Hawaii, and they're going, It's not New Year for me yet. <laughs> you know, so, you, you know, you want to make sure. So this week, uh, being the New Year, what we're going to do is Will and I are going to give our predictions for what's to come in technology and software for 2016. And for the show and yeah, everything else. It's not really you know, too much. but no. So we're going to start off. We're just going to go back and forth. Um, yeah, so we each wrote a half a dozen. Yeah, just like our uh, resolutions. Yeah. So uh, though this time, instead of going just in order, we're going to try it out going kind of a back and forth. So Will's going to start us off with his first prediction. Okay, my first prediction for 2016, um, this is kind of a result of the terrorist attacks that happened in France and that happened in America. And you know, knock on wood, we hopefully we won't have any more before this, uh, this comes out. But I expect to see increased government demands for backdoors to encryption. Uh, we're already seeing quite a bit of that. I think the tenor will pick up. Uh, especially as the U.S. moves into election season, when people don't realize just how dangerous an encryption mm-hmm. backdoor is. And so we're going to see our politicians do a lot more of that. You'll see it everywhere. That's funny. There's been a lot of talk about security lately in just the different podcasts that I listen to. Yeah, there's. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of very serious concern because, you know, whereas the groups we have gone against before tended to be, not, you know, Mostly non-state actors. You know, they were funded by states, but and by states I mean like actual governments, not yeah. 
they they were a little less organized and you know ISIS is and some of these others are far more organized. Mm-hmm. They do have state support. You know, they're they're starting. I mean, ISIS has a help desk. Yeah. For their jihadis, I mean, think that through. That's that's a whole other level of stuff hitting the fan. And so we're going to see our government start to become a lot more reactive. And the the main way that they'll do this, I believe, over the next year is that they're going to try to get back doors into encryption. Uh, they're going to try it legally and try to force it. Um, which, by the way, if they do that, you can pretty much kiss e-commerce goodbye. Mm-hmm. Because there's going to be so many credit card breaches from that. And so many other things go sideways that it would be bad. So they probably aren't going to actually get that through. Because there's enough of us that are going to scream at them about that. But they will be sneaking back doors into things. So be you know kind of be on the lookout for your on your security products. Be paying attention to this. Because this... I, I really think this is going to be a, a thing in 2016. I expect it probably already is as far as the, the back doors. I mean, they've, they've found NSA back doors and other things in the past. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's completely improbable that there's not some now. Yeah. That makes sense. So, uh, what's your first prediction for the year? All right. Well, mine is uh, a little bit on the lighter side, uh, kind of going to, to IOT. Um, I'm predicting that some of the larger watch companies are going to start integrating IoT wearables into their devices. Now, they, uh, I know Timex and Rolex already have some um, smartwatches, but I think they're going to become big players, um, and they're going to make they're going to become bigger players than they are, and we're going to start seeing uh, more traditional-looking watch faces with. IOT technology in them. Well, and I also think that the smartwatches are going to kind of come into their own because, you know, if you remember when smartphones came out, we really didn't know what to do with that UI for mm-hmm. a while. You know, because if you remember like the Pocket PC 2003, yeah. it was like, okay, what are we doing? Well, we're putting a computer on a phone, and that's not really what mobile is. Mm-hmm. And I think right now we're sort of trying to put a phone on a watch. Yeah. And that's not what a smartwatch is either. And so it'll, it'll be interesting to see because I think that that's going to shake out. Somebody's going to, to get user interface metaphors that work better than what we have. And we're going to see an absolute explosion in something that we, you know, that people have been making fun of for a while. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of people that, are, that do use, um, use wearable technology. For example, I was sitting at Starbucks this afternoon before coming over here. Um, working on some paperwork and uh, blog posts, really. And uh, I, I overheard a conversation. The lady sitting bes- uh, in the table beside me was kind of helping some kids. I think she was their teacher or tutor or something. But uh, she was explaining to them, you know, how her smartwatch tracked her heart rate and different things like that. Yeah, there's there's really a lot of opportunities in that space, especially with low power Mm-hmm. devices that are, you know, for a few specific tasks. So not necessarily a smartwatch, but just an enhanced watch. Yeah. That's where I see, that's where I see a lot of the, the current big name watchmakers. Yeah. You know, like uh, Citizen, Rolex, Timex, things like those. I see them coming into it and, you know, not making the, the kind of plasticky, almost, uh, 
cheap looking. Even though they're not cheap, they they look cheap. Yeah. Well, they got cheap plastic around them, yeah. and that's you know. So I, I think that's gonna that's gonna change quite a bit. I, I like I said, I don't think that it will be like all the you know, smartphone technology. I think it's going to be scaled down because you have a lot of power consumption issues. Mm-hmm. You have an even smaller screen. You know, I remember not that long ago when phones kept getting smaller and smaller and the joke was, you know, you're going to have a phone that's going to sit on your pinky and talk on it. Right, and then porn appeared on mobile and everybody's screens started getting bigger. <laughs> that's the running joke I've always heard is that they suddenly figured that out and the, the growth curve went the other way. <laughs> well, I think I think where things were going with the smaller and smaller phones, it, it has a market in the the IoT wearables. Yeah, it does. Or it has a market in being ancillary to something that your smartphone has. Yeah. Now, one thing I would like to see, and I know a lot of people were hoping that this would be the case with the uh, the Apple Watch, was for it to replace the phone. But as of right now, there's not... Well, and I mean, honestly, do you want to hold your arm up and talk into your wrist? Well, for any extended no, period of time, unless it's on Bluetooth or something. Yeah, but it, then you got to worry about power consumption. Yeah. Anytime, it, if it's doing any network. Well, the thing is, the way it works now, from what I understand, is the the watch Bluetooth to the phone. And, and the phone's it, network is used. But mm-hmm. you got to think, the phone is still having to do communication. Yeah. I mean, that that is going to run battery down, and you don't have a whole lot of space for battery. Mm-hmm. Plus, if, it's, if you're actually wearing it on your body, it's one thing to have a phone on your hip. It's hanging off your belt loop. That's that's not too terrible. But you have a you know anything with much weight on your wrist gets pretty irritating pretty quick. Especially for most of us that are you know most of the people that are going to be buying that are sitting at desks all day. I know. I take. I mean, I just have a regular little citizen watch. I take it off when I'm typing a lot. Well, my watch band broke in 2005, and I never fixed it. Oh, so what you're saying is, uh, you uh, you need a uh, pocket watch no i really don't i don't need a i don't need a watch i mean you know i grew up out in the sticks and so i can actually a lot of times tell time if i can see the sun i can tell what time of day it is so another thing i'm predicting for 2016 is that microsoft will announce some sort of ms linux now they're already moving towards linux um from my understanding they have some support areas where they have uh, Red Hat Enterprise Linux support people sitting right next to Microsoft support people. So when you have a problem on Red Hat that's a, for a Microsoft product, they don't go, oh, well, you need to call Microsoft's tech support. They hand the phone to another, to another guy mm-hmm. or another gal, whoever's in the office. And so I expect that Microsoft is probably going to announce some sort of Linux. I know I've heard a lot about um, the about .NET on Linux. Yeah. Well, they're moving so much stuff there. I would I would not be surprised at all to see that. I wouldn't be surprised to see SQL Server go to Linux. Because you think about really, really big server hardware, you don't think when to server most of the time. You think, yeah. okay, there's Linux or there's Unix or something. Mm-hmm. And you know, Microsoft wants to get into that space, and the numbers make sense if you can get the database performant. Yeah. So I, I would not be surprised at all to see some sort of Linux out of them within the next year. As much as they're open sourcing their tools and they're moving everything off, you know, Windows is a liability. It's got a lot of old code in it, mm-hmm. and 
it's got a bad reputation. It's got stuff that's, you know, security holes that have been kept purposefully because if you removed it, old stuff would break. And so they may very well start making a clean break with the past. There, I mean, there's a reason Windows 10 is going to be evergreen. Uh, what how, what kind of revenue model can they get out of that? Mm-hmm. So they're, they're doing something, and I think that's what it is. So what's your next one? All right, next uh, next on my list, I've got. Uh, I predict that in uh, 2016, we're going to see Bitcoin go down in value. Major banking's uh, industry has started to get into Bitcoin, yeah. And I I see all of the regulation that goes along with the major banking industry that has not been in Bitcoin. Yeah. I mean, once once the banks get into it, that regulation is going to come along, and a lot of People that like Bitcoin are not going to like that. Well, you know, the regulation and the oversight, it's the same mm-hmm. same problem really with encryption. The government wants to see those those Bitcoin transactions. And there's if you ever go and look at um, just go to YouTube sometime and look at some of the documentaries about the dark web, about some of the stuff that's gone on, and you know, you can pay I mean like you can pay to see people get killed. Mm-hmm. You know, with Bitcoin, there's there's some really scary stuff going on, and I expect governments will get after it more. Plus, they can't get their cut off of it. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a profit motive thing. They don't care that people are getting killed, but they do care when they don't make any money mm-hmm. off that transaction. So, what do you have next? Well, um, I hate to always be you know Debbie Downer. I think a lot of these things are. You know, these, these are good things mixed with bad, right? The bad yeah. things are happening because bigger good things are going on. Um, but what I'm predicting is some sort of major IoT hack um, with the possibility of loss of life, somebody you know, getting seriously hurt. I mean, we're seeing more and more devices. We're seeing a lot of hobbyists do stuff. Something's going to happen eventually. People are pushing the edge. You know, I mean, I, I saw a thing where a guy made a, it was like a robotic lawnmower. You know, he took a, a lawnmower and modified it basically with you know, with sensors and everything like a Roomba vacuum cleaner, mm-hmm. except it cuts as long. Okay, you've got people doing things with machinery and trying to be, you know, programmatically do things. You know, that, that's, that space is fraught with risk. Now, the, the human up, uh, you know, potential is tremendous. You know, the amount of work that we can get rid of in our lives... You know, it's it's way up there, so it is worth it. But I do expect that we will see something bad that will get hyped, unbelievably. We're already seeing it with the drones stuff, with the FAA jumping in on that. If we had had stuff like the the Arduino and the Raspberry Pi and the Beagle board back when we were kids, I, I would have been one of those those teenagers that was trying to to make my lawnmower oh, yeah. mow the lawn itself because I hated doing that. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, my dad had a nursery. Yeah. You know, you, you think about the kind of stuff I'd have been rigging. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it'll happen. And, you know, it's 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 really a good thing. It's part of the cycle of maturity of new technology is, you know, there's all the hobbyists that get into it. And then eventually you get enough people where probability kicks in and something bad happens. Mm-hmm. We saw this with the Internet back in the day because, you know, at, well, after Oklahoma City, oh, you could learn, you know, there were people learning how to do you know, make explosives online. And that was the big, scary thing. And now, you know, it's very easy to learn how to do that. 
but that's completely faded into the background because the internet has provided so much other value. And we're going to see the same thing with IoT. Mm-hmm. It's just I suspect that this year will be the year of that stuff hitting and looking really bad. So I don't want anybody to panic because when this does happen, you know, this is a sign that the growth curve is accelerating. It's not it's not bad. It's a necessary stage. No. So what's your next one? All right. Well, uh, my next one's also kind of, it depends on your, your view on this. It could be good or bad. Um, I foresee that the, the vaping industry, you know, the, not the e-cigarettes so much as like the, like the like vape. The e-bombs? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> um, I, I've, I've said a couple of times uh, in private that I think that's a bubble that's going to burst, and I see that happening um, within the next year, I mean, at, at most two or three, but it's something that all these places are popping up, Yeah, and it, it reminds me a lot of the dot-com bubble, because like, you had all these shops popping up. Yeah, and you can see there's some of the, some of the marketing is very odd. I see that as more and more places uh, begin to ban vaping, in public? Yeah, well, I mean, it is It is kind of, you know, people are sensitive to the smell, mm-hmm. even though it's not really damaging them, and it's, it doesn't stick to your clothes unless you're around, you know, if you're riding a car with somebody that's vaping the whole time, you know, for several hours, yeah, you're going to smell like it a little bit. Or if you're in an airplane with someone that is, and yeah. you have asthma. Yeah, and those kind of things are going to kick in. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, the other side of this is, you know, I think you're also going to start seeing that there are some health impacts to that oh, stuff. Yeah. Anything you put in, you know, anything that comes in or out of your body has a health impact. Mm-hmm. And anything that stays in your body has a health impact. Yeah. You're, you're part of a dynamic web of stuff. So it, I think you're going to see that. I think there, there's going to be one of the big things that I have noticed is there's not much research on it. Yeah. It's like it's something that just kind of popped out. And I was surprised how, honestly, it surprised me the first time I ever saw it was I thought someone was smoking in an airport. Yeah. And it, it threw me off. I said something to um, one of the people I was traveling with. They're like, oh, no, no, that's that's legal. That's vaping. You've never heard of it? Yeah. No. <laughs> so I think there will be something that they'll find. And it may just be a scare. Mm-hmm. But I, I imagine that something will come down. Oh, yeah. But I just, I think that what's, what's going on, you're getting all these little shops popping up everywhere. And there's going to be a bubble that bursts. Yeah. And I think it's going to happen in the next year or so. Um, I do see the possibilities of uh, the vaping market growing with uh, recreational marijuana. Yeah, which is the other side of it because, you know, you got to bear in mind when when marijuana got to be a big problem, Mm -hmm. you know, problem in air quotes, a lot of that was the alleged health risks and, you know, some thoroughly racist stuff that was also used in the propaganda campaigns. Mm -hmm. You know, that that was a thing, and it was completely the risk was completely overhyped compared to other things that are legal, like the beer we're drinking right now. Exactly, and and so that side of it will probably start coming back down, mm-hmm. and so you'll probably see uh, recreational marijuana be a bigger thing. Uh, the other thing that I'm very interested in is cannabis being grown, because as recreational marijuana gets to be legal for smoking. There's less and less reason to say, oh, you can't grow cannabis to make paper, you know, textiles, all the other things that can mm-hmm. come out of that. Like that, that is a major, you know, save the forests type 
oh, thing no. that we're gonna yeah, that's that's going to come down. So it's it's the other side of the pendulum. There's also the part of the reason that marijuana was banned was because it's of not the part. The people that funded it was the Hearsts. You know, they own papers, or they own paper mills and newspapers. And when they found a, basically a way that made using cannabis cheap to make paper out of, mm-hmm. these people had just bought these vast tracts of forest and all these paper mills and all this stuff. And it was, it was a major threat to their business model. And so they engaged in propaganda. Like they funded all that reefer madness crap. Yeah. Like that's documented. That's been there. And now that's going away. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that 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 will change. You'll you'll see that probably on a state by state basis continuing. Um, I don't think the feds are going to clamp down on it. They kind of have other things to worry about, for one thing, and they want the tax revenue because if you see what happened in you know Colorado, Washington, some of these other states that have passed this, what ends up happening is is the amount of tax revenue that they take up is insane. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's really replacing the revenue that they are losing on cigarettes as people figure out just how bad the cancer sticks are for you. Mm-hmm. It's also replacing some of the revenue lost on alcohol taxes. Yeah. And, you know, gas taxes as well, because bear in mind, our, our vehicles are becoming more fuel efficient. And we're getting more electric vehicles. And so what ends up happening is, is the states don't have the money to run the highway system. And so they're scrambling around trying to do anything they can. And that means that they're going to be like, hey, let's legalize marijuana and tax it. because Not because we care about your freedom, but because we're going to be broke. Most of the states also have very large pension obligations to the baby boomers who are retiring now. Mm-hmm. So they, they have this major fiscal cliff coming up, and that, that those dynamics are going to change and push. You're not going to see just medical marijuana. You're going to see it be completely legal in all 50 states, more than likely, very, very soon. Yeah, I don't think that'll be, and I think that's more of a you know five-year plan. Yeah, I don't think it'll be a year, yeah. more than likely, but I, I mean, the pressure is on them. I do know more and more states, like, it's it's been brought up. Tennessee. Yeah, I was going to say, it's been brought up here in Tennessee, for even. for Well, for medical and for decriminalization of uh, having small amounts of it. Yeah. To where it's no longer, it would no longer be illegal to have a certain amount. Well, I mean, you know, for crying out loud, marijuana should be legal in Tennessee. We have Willie Nelson living here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... You know, there's a certain point where you just gotta go. You know, we've we've this this war is already lost. Like, well, um, what I suspect will happen next, and this is going back to the IT type market, is I think major uh, integrated development environments are going to get increasingly cheaper or free. You're going to see better offerings out there. Um, we've already seen you know prices starting to drop on Visual Studio. We're also seeing uh, you know Community Edition. You know, some of your other high-end IDEs are probably going to start doing the same thing because now there's a downward pressure, and there's there's economics behind this. It's just like the uh, marijuana legalization. It's like okay, yeah, you know, companies don't necessarily care whether the users are happy as long as they're getting money. Mm-hmm. Well, what's starting to happen now is instead of buying all these servers and all this stuff, people are starting to put things in the cloud, and the cloud is starting to become a bigger and bigger slice of the pie. 
for what these big companies are making. You know, the idea of selling software is starting to go. Mm-hmm. And now it's, okay, I'm selling a service. I'm keeping a server up and running for you and secured and all the crap that goes with it, like all the HIPAA and all yeah, the stuff the that has to go on. Yeah, it's just nasty. It's expensive. We're getting mm-hmm. better containerization. Um, you know, we've been able to put a, an application in a VM, essentially, or, you know, a Docker container, those kind of things, and have it live on the cloud. And we've got a tight environment that just has what we need, that has it configured the way we need. And it runs. And with those dynamics in place, what's happening is that cloud is starting to become a bigger and bigger part of all their strategies. It's a cornerstone of their strategy. And with that happening, now these companies, instead of going, oh, I want to charge you for Visual Studio because it's a productivity tool for you. Now they're like, I want to charge you for Azure and I want to make it easy for you to build apps for it. And so here's a tool chain that does it. I'm also going to work with the people that write, you know, that put out Eclipse. I'm going to work with, you know, the people that make WebStorm and build all this stuff. That makes perfect sense because I know the, this year, the 2015 community edition of Visual Studio has things in it that up until now were only available in like the. Yeah, the paid ones. Well, like the the premier paid ones. Yeah. And, you know, like, well, all the add-ins. They've allowed add-ins. I mean, initially when, you know, and this is the way back machine, but when, like, the Express editions, which preceded the community editions, they started out and you could not have more than one project open. That explains the questions you asked me when we were working uh, yeah. pair programming the other day. Yeah, and, and and I thought that was still a thing. And there's a lot of Microsoft developers that really don't realize, hey, there's free stuff coming out. And prices are just are just absolutely tanking on that stuff because it's not part of the larger market strategy. Now there are some limitations on um, what yeah. what you're allowed to use use it to build, but yeah, but those limitations partially are to reduce risk mm-hmm. because they are still selling licenses and they are trying to transition. Yeah. Like they don't want their revenue model to disappear while the other one hasn't materialized yet. Mm -hmm. And so I suspect that, you know, monetarily what's going to happen to them is, is they're, they're going to get pushed in the right direction. And it's great for all of us. That's why you're seeing Microsoft and some of these other companies get into open source. Because now it's like, okay, I can run a server farm and I get recurring revenue. I don't get people like your mom buying office 2003 with her new computer Mm -hmm. and never upgrading. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's not a revenue cycle that you want. That's why Office 365 is, is a subscription thing. That's why all these websites are monthly. It's because it, it's a great revenue model because then you're not, your sales cycle is not focused on, okay, I'm starting zero every month. I'm starting from a recurring subscriber base and I can grow it, but I'm not going to tank. It's a, it's a lot more security for these companies. And so the economics are going to force this these prices down. And we're going to get a lot better tooling across everything. And this includes your open source platforms. Because now you're going to have guys that are writing open source software that, you know, they hate Microsoft and all this stuff. However, whatever they're building still has to compete with very much cheaper things. And let's be honest here, open source, part of the reason that it is penetrated as far as it has is price. Like that's that's one of the factors that is major here. 
And so this, this will also put pressure on them. Yeah, I know. I was, when, uh, when I was started getting real serious with the, with my learning to code, I, I looked at the prices for, uh, you know, buying a single, you know, single edition of uh, Visual Studio. And I was like, it's just, it's too much. Yeah, it's exorbitant. And it used to be worse. Like, it's falling. Now, you know, of course, now you've got Community Edition and you've got Visual Studio Code. So you're seeing that dynamic in the Windows space. You're going to see it in other places. Microsoft is is a very large company. And when they move, other people move too. Yeah. Because they have to. It's, you know, it's just a matter of time. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to how this shakes out because I think that it's going to make our jobs a whole lot easier, a whole lot better. We're going to have better tooling, more options. It's, it's really going to be a good thing. So what's your next one? I predict that uh, in 2016, we're going to start seeing uh, computers with um, on the high end now. Like we're talking like really high end gaming systems and stuff with uh, uh, one petabyte. I just, I don't know that that's in 2016. That seems kind of, I mean, because like you're, you're seeing consumer four terabyte drives out there a petabyte seems like that's going to be out of reach i don't mean like a single drive that is okay, one systems that have i'm, I'm talking about i'm you work i predict I we're going to see be, i don't know it'll be gaming systems i you know i mean you can look at the prices i think you're going to see high-end servers um one thing i think a lot of us have, have not figured out yet is what am i going to do with the amount of space i have well i mean the thing is look at look at the size of the games yeah they're getting bigger um, they're, they're getting the thing is they're expanding to take up that space yeah they'll they can they they don't have to do things but like back in the the old 8-bit nintendo days where they use the same you know same color palette for <laughs> yeah for 15 different things i i don't know if i don't know if one petabyte is is realistic in consumer hardware like netflix's you know net, i don't know if you saw the thing that netflix has been doing or they're going to start doing in the new year but they are they're re-encoding their entire video library. Really? Yeah. They have a petabyte of movies. Like you know, I don't know that that's I don't know that it's entirely realistic to get one petabyte down to the consumer level. I think that we're going to see on the very very top end. I mean, I'm I'm not talking like your average consumer. I'm talking, you know, the very top end. Somebody who's stupid rich. Yeah, stupid rich. Um, the very, very top end, they're, they're going to have those. Yeah. I mean, I remember a guy, you know, when I was growing up and this was 93, 94, who had 20 megs of RAM and it was just so far beyond anything. And he was that guy. Mm-hmm. It's like, what, you know, let me get the board that will take the most that we can get in the market. And by the way, my OS can't do anything with that. I could easily see things in the you know the hundreds of terabytes. Like I don't, I don't think your prediction is far off. I don't think it's as far off as it seems. I, I don't know that it'll hit twenty sixteen, but it, I just I have a feeling that we're going to see something radical at the very very top end, and that over over the next five to ten years, it'll work its way down to the affordable range. But I think we're going to see it come out. So I mean, it, it's possible. I you know I'm. I'm a little bullish on that one actually hitting in 2016, but I think we'll get a, a substantial chunk of it. 
I'm I'm looking forward to seeing where that goes, and we'll talk about it at the end of the year. See see which of our predictions came true and which didn't. So my my fifth one is that we're probably going to see a little bit of a bubble get popped in tech, um, and I think there's there's really two components here. The biggest one though really is going to be in in the educational space as far as all the coding schools mm-hmm. and as far as university degrees. Uh, the reason for this is because there's, there's, it's too expensive. Like your return on investment is not as good as it could be because university has gotten so expensive. Well, like you think about the school we went to, right? we went to college and you remember, you know, the dorms were kind of, they were okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was in a nice, I was in a nicer dorm than you were. The dorm you were in was a dump, <laughs> but it was still livable. Yeah. And now, you know, the, the demands have changed a lot of these. You know, a lot of the dorms are really they're pretty nice, and a lot of mm-hmm. the buildings are nice. And if you go back to the campus where we were, they've rebuilt. They've built all kinds of stuff. You know, that means that there's a whole lot of money flowing into education right now, mm-hmm. into, into higher ed. And they're making a lot of decisions based on that cash flow. However, the people that are paying those bills have not seen their incomes rise materially mm-hmm. to the degree that the university income has risen. And what happens when you have two exponential systems, one of which is growing at a faster rate than the other? What do the curves look like? One of them gets away from the other one. Yeah, I'll say very different. Yeah, and when that one's dependent on it, guess what happens? Splat. Mm-hmm. So I think I think you're going to see this pop a little bit. I think you're going to see a lot of uh, smaller code schools get a little bit more agile mm-hmm. and actually start really giving them a run for their money because this is what we really need to have. I just I find this funny because um, I should point out because it's going to seem different, but uh, Will and I wrote our predictions separately, yeah, and then only combined them after we'd written them. And uh, my fifth prediction is on the same line. It's I'm predicting in 2016 that we're going to see a rise of long-term code schools that will eventually replace the boot camp craze. And by not, by long term, I mean closer to like an the, apprentice type thing. Yeah, yeah, apprenticeship type thing where it's a, a nine to twelve month uh, program that then puts you into a apprentice junior position. Yeah, um, we have one here in Nashville called Nashville Software School yeah. that does that, and we've we've got some friends that are in it. Yeah, um, and uh, what really started me thinking about this was an email I got the other day from Launch School. And it's a it's a new program that's a nine to twelve month program that their their big thing is we take the time to teach you the fundamentals and make sure you understand how to program before you learn the language. Well, as you're learning the language, but we make sure our focus is on how. Yeah. And that's that's something that I think a lot of the boot camps they're so set on getting. They want you. They want quick results. They, they want quick results, and they want. I don't want to say, they want code monkeys, basically. They want people that can go out there and handle simple tasks and just... Competitively. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, I do think that a lot of them are going to get schooled, too. Mm-hmm. Because you got to bear in mind, their cost is not on the front end like university. It's in the two-year contract. Yeah. And that's also egregious. I mean, it's like, oh, yeah, let me get this job that pays... You know, thirty k a year, and oh, by the way, at year two, I could probably be making seventy. Mm-hmm. So I'm 
I'm giving up a whole lot of money and mobility to work for these people. And I, I think that they're going to get spanked pretty thoroughly by the market as well. I really do. I, I think we'll see some upstarts that are going to disrupt this. I hope we do because it's, it's not really. I think I, like I said, with the, the email about that. And honestly, I was really interested until I looked at the languages they teach. What do they teach? Ruby. Ruby's nice. Ruby's not bad. It's just there's not. I would love to learn Ruby and be a Ruby developer. I have a lot of friends that do it. I think it would be really interesting. But Ruby is not something that is very widely used here in Nashville. Yeah, it's it's pretty much all .NET here. Mm-hmm. Although if you can, if you're pretty good at JavaScript, you can go anywhere. Yeah. Um, and that's see. That's that's the next thing I have on on this. My fifth prediction is I think we're going to see more diversity in the languages that these code schools are going to have because... Um, well, because the price of getting an IDE is dropping, mm-hmm. for one thing. So the schools don't have to put as much money into that. I mean, if they're even the educational licenses of Visual Studio and the upkeep required on no. all that, that, I mean, that's a cost. Like I've seen, like I mentioned Nashville Software School, they have a C-sharp.net tracked. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, if I were you, I would go for mean or I would go for yeah. node type mm-hmm. things because those JavaScript script skills are still transferable mm-hmm. because any web app you build, you're going to be doing JavaScript. It doesn't matter how good you're, even if you have a good control library that you're yeah. messing with, you're going to have to do things in JavaScript simply because that's always going to be there. And I think that's going to start pushing further into the back end of the systems. The, again, it all comes down to economics. Like everything we've been talking about is, is talking about economics because that's what next year is. All right, so uh, for our last predictions, we're uh, we're going to kind of give some predictions on uh, the podcast. And what we're hoping to do is uh, each year that we go through this, we'll we'll do this for the first episode of the year. And uh, our last prediction each will be a prediction for where we see the podcast going in the next year. So, Will, we'll go ahead and get started with you. Well, um, mine is not necessarily the podcast. I think Beige will actually get a coding job. That would be really nice. It would, <laughs> um, you know, for, for a great many reasons. He's, you know, he's been training pretty hard. He's been learning a lot. And you know, he's been interviewing some. There's Nashville has kind of got a weird situation with all the medical tech around here mm-hmm. that there's not – we have a pretty crap ecosystem for junior devs. There's not uh, the ability to fill demand for senior devs. And so like our hourly rates are going up mm-hmm. constantly because there's not enough people to actually replace the developers that fall off. Yeah. At the same time, we're not training junior devs because, Hey, you know, you're working on sensitive systems that, you know, they've got uh, private health information, those sorts of things in the mix people aren't looking for very many junior developers. They're looking for people that can think about, you know, five or 10 things at once because they've done most of the stuff enough. That, that it's that, not a, it's not, they're it's not, not focusing on, yeah. you know, yeah, that makes, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, we really, you know, here in Nashville, we really have to fix that fairly soon or we're going to have, I mean, it'd be great for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I would love to double my hourly rate, but again, that's not good for the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. That's how you end up with a mass exodus to somewhere like Austin, which also has a pretty good. The thing is, I was told um, today that Nashville has about fifty people moving down here every day. Yeah, 
Nashville's exploding right now. I know. But we still don't have jobs for the junior devs. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people that are that are junior that are looking. There's more of them, mm-hmm. as far as I've been able to tell, than there are positions for them. Whereas senior devs, it's the other way around. Uh, we work, I work with a, with a mutual friend of ours. Mm-hmm. And we'll be sitting in the office and his phone will ring and I'll hear him go, no, I'm, I'm not really interested in anything right now. About an hour later, mine will ring. <laughs> and it it happens a couple times a week. It's it's really getting kind of over the top. There's not there's not enough senior developers, and part of that is because we haven't nurtured our junior developers. There's mm-hmm. no track for them to to actually get to a senior level. There's not enough of those jobs to, to grow the community. So I think you know hopefully we can get you a tech job. You know you do have contacts that a lot of people mm-hmm. don't have. Um, so hopefully that will help. Yeah. And what's your uh, what's your last prediction? I guess it, this is the prediction for the podcast itself. Yeah. So the my prediction for for the complete developer podcast in uh, 2016 is that Will will buy more beer. No. <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah, that's a good that's a good prediction for this weekend. <laughs> it's not 2016. All right. So my prediction for 2016 is the podcast will reach over 100 regular listeners per episode. You know, we we have about thirty to forty. We're we're pushing up into the fifties now, yeah. um, just on a regular basis. But um, we we have I can consistently say each week we have about thirty eight to forty downloads that are pretty regular. Yeah, and it's you know the the growth curve is going up. I mean, along with that, I see us developing kind of an open community, uh, specifically with kind of a mentors mentees interaction. Yeah, um, that's something we've talked about a lot. Is uh, some I've talked with my friends that are junior developers, um, and I've been told by a couple of people that they're jealous of our friendship. I was like, we were friends before I got into development. Yeah, he shows up with beer. Yeah, <laughs> but it, it I just like they don't have that, and it's when they don't already know somebody. Yeah, and they don't. They're not going to a like a four year college where they can you know, meet up with people like that, but are in like a coding camp or some, one of the longer term coding schools. it's a hard jump to make. It it really is. And especially if you don't know people already there. And so one thing that Will and I have talked about is um, working with some of the other communities that we know to set up a a mentor, mentee, to like match up people. Because we know we have friends that are senior developers that would like to mentor people, but just don't know. Yeah. Well, it's good for their careers too. Yeah, it is, and and they don't know the the junior devs or the people that are coming up, and they don't have a way of meeting them. So it's the idea is to to provide that and by creating this community, and I think that's going to really kick off this year. Yeah, I mean they do have you know, the thing is is they think they can meet them in user groups, but a lot of times junior devs are intimidated mm-hmm. by user groups. It's like okay. We're going to go in here and we're going to discuss, you know, C-sharp microservices with WizBang technology number three, whatever that is. Well, the junior dev is like, okay, I'm trying to understand classes. Yeah. I'm trying to understand generics. I'm trying to, you know, I'm doing something at a, a different level. What, what's in this for me? And the answer is not a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, user groups tend to be geared towards people that are already kind of established, you know, mid-level or better. Yeah. And... You know the the junior devs just fall off, and that's really you know kind of tragic. I know the when 
when I've gone to the, the user group meeting here in town. Um, yeah, it's very good at my level. Yeah, I mean, that, that makes perfect sense. But I've had um, a couple of people that, that help run it ask me, well, you know, what'd you think of it and stuff like that. I mean, we have a really good group, too. Yeah, we do. Um, but then again, I'm also kind of different from a lot of a lot of people that are getting into development because I'm I'm older and I'm kind of outspoken. Yeah. And I don't have a problem telling you what I think about things. <laughs> well, you don't have a problem asking for help and you know the people around you to ask for help. Exactly. And I think a lot of the, the junior devs are really running into that, that they don't have that. They don't have those relationships and the contacts mm-hmm. to be able to leverage that effectively. And, and they should have. They should. And that's that's what what we've been talking about a lot. Um, we actually are going to do an episode next week kind of on that. For It's going to be for junior devs and senior devs on uh, asking questions um, for the junior devs and on giving advice for the senior devs. Yeah, so that they both stop stinking at it, hopefully. Yeah. Because we all kind of do. Mm-hmm. And the, the I, what I'm saying is I see us working with some of the other communities that we know, um, that we have friends in, and building a community of mentors and mentees, if that's the right word. Yeah, and it'll probably mostly be just in Nashville. Yeah, I mean, it'll probably, it'll start off here. Um, But, you know, I I think we're going to have forums and things, Mm -hmm. so it wouldn't necessarily be something that couldn't be replicated in other places. Just, this is, you know, I'm sitting in Nashville right now, so are you. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that's sort of where where we're coming from. And it, like I said, I just I predict that it's going to get started. I yeah. think that's that's going to be one of the one of our big initiatives that we do with the podcast is going to be helping to develop that community. That is the final prediction that we have for 2016. If you have a question or comment for us, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Stand By for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed under Creative Commons. The intro music for IOTs is OMFG Hello by Argo Fox and is also licensed under Creative Commons and available on SoundCloud. For references, show notes, and to sign up to our email list, be sure and check out the website at www.completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with news about the show. Thanks for listening. See you next time.